your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. And welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this show, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, February 3rd. I'm Terry Arango with my guests, Jackie Olson and Britt Collins. Our topic today, occupational therapy for children with autism and special needs. Jackie Olson is the mom to a son with autism and Jackie combined her career as a filmmaker with her passion for helping special needs children to create an occupational therapy DVD OT for Children with Autism, Special Needs, and Typical. Jackie also created and produced OT in the Home, OT in the School, and Yoga for Children with Special Needs. These include demonstrations from occupational therapist Britt Collins. Britt's OT DVD series won an award in 2008 from iParenting, a division of Disney. She has practiced in many settings, including sensory integration clinics, schools, homes, and rehab and skilled nursing facilities. Britt has focused her career on sensory integration and how this affects children with special needs such as autism, ADHD, and sensory dysfunction. Ladies, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us, Terry. Thank you so much, Terry. Well, Jackie, you are the mother of a son with autism. Tell us about your son when he was born and how he was developing. Um, my son, when he was first born, um, he didn't sleep at all. He was very sound sensitive. He he had a lot of issues that I wasn't prepared for, and I didn't know what that meant and or what to do. And I went to the state of California when he was about two years old, and they told me he had autism. And uh, you know, I was completely shocked. And I went to doctors after that. I took him to a couple different doctors, and he eventually got his autism di- diagnosis when he was three years old um, from Doctor Anshu Batra. And uh, we just immediately started early intervention. We did everything, you know, like most parents that we possibly could and tried all different things, all different treatments. And, and occupational therapy just really seemed to work for my child. So um, that's how I became involved with Britt, Britt Collins and OT. And um, it just kind of grew from there. All right. Now, um, Jackie, you were saying that uh, you thought that your son had auditory problems and such, um, and we were talking about when he was when he was an infant, but then you said he, uh, you went to the state of California when he was two and he was diagnosed when he was three. Yes. When did these problems actually become evident? Um, was there a time when he was doing better and then he was doing worse? Yes, it actually would seem to go in waves, if, if that makes sense. Right when he was born, he didn't sleep, and then he seemed to, you know, get be typical, and then um, his sound sensitivities got really out of control. We couldn't take him anywhere. We couldn't take him to restaurants, and then um, he would seem to get better, and then, um, you know, it, it did coincide a little bit with the shots because he seemed to get sick whenever we did the shots, and then um, he's, he got very sensitive to movement, so then it got to where we couldn't put him in the car because he would um, vomit and he would feel very sick and different things, so... He would get a little better, then he would seem to get worse. And so it was at two years old where 
people actually in my family started pointing out, okay, you really need to, you know, take him somewhere and find out what's going on. I had that same kind of experience. Did you really? Where my son, um, well, what I'm talking about is if I would try to reverse the car, Mm -hmm. um, my son would be so upset to the point of vomiting. Yeah, yes. So we didn't know if he was making himself sick at first, and then we found out, you know, through Britt that it was um, his vestibular system, which I'm sure she'll go into more later in the show, and just kind of his sense of gravity was off and his motion. He would just get extreme motion sickness. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and as he grew up, he always put his head on the ground to look at toys, and we just thought that was so different, but we didn't understand why. You know, we thought, oh, he's quirky, but you know, Britt later explained, you know, that's him trying to focus because all of the inner ear fluid and, and all of that stuff was, um, he couldn't see straight. So, so wow. we really had to work on a lot of different issues. <laughs> well, Britt, what is the intersection that Jackie is talking about between inner ear fluid and, and focusing on looking at something? So this system is called the vestibular system. As we know, we have, you know, taste, touch, smell, um, feel. You know, you've got your five senses, and then you also have the vestibular system as well as the proprioception system. And the vestibular system is governed by the inner ear and the semicircular canals, which is where your fluid is, balancing, all of those things. So if you've ever had an ear infection or a cold, you kind of feel a little bit off balance. Sometimes it affects your vision. When kids have a sensitivity or maybe an over-responsive to their vestibular system, a lot of the times they have problems with body awareness, balance, coordination, vision. So um, for Odin, he wanted to be close to the ground where he felt comfortable so that he could focus on things because when he was standing up, his head was so far, you know, off balance that he just didn't understand where he was in space. So I think that made him dizzy. It made him nauseous when the car would be moving. I think that the fluid in his inner ears would move in a certain way that he just didn't know how to process, and he didn't know how to um, and how to make his body accept those things. So that would make him to the extreme of nauseous and vomiting, like what you said mentioned with your son as well. The vestibular system is a very um, – it can be very complicated, but it's it's got a lot that kind of goes into it, and it deals with a lot of – things within our balance and coordination and visual. Okay, so is the vestibular system different than the auditory system? It, it is different. The vestibular system is kind of like what, and what I'm mentioning, it, it is governed by this semicircular canals in your inner ear. The auditory system is also how you're hearing things and how you're processing what you're hearing, but it also is affected by the fluids in your inner ears and your, and how you know about where you are in space. So if you're standing up and maybe a child has difficulty with understanding where their body is in space, if they're hearing a sound, they don't maybe understand where it's coming from and they don't know how to process it. So then they are sensitive to loud noises or sudden sounds or fire truck engines or things like that because it's coming from a direction and they don't know how to process that when it comes into the actual auditory system in their ear. Okay, but and we're also saying that this affects how a child would be looking at things. A lot of people might think that that sounded visual. So it's all kind of combined. I know it's, uh, the sensory systems are very 
uh, difficult to understand, but once you kind of get everything down, you realize that everything is connected. And uh, you know that if someone has, if someone is blind, then a lot of times their hearing and smell maybe will be a little bit heightened. Well, it's kind of the same thing. So if you have maybe difficulty with your balance and coordination with because maybe you have a problem with your vestibular system, then visually you might have some things that are a little bit off as well. And you have um, difficulty with um, seeing certain things or you probably, it just depends on what's going on with the vestibular system. So if your balance and coordination are off, then if you think about that, you could be dizzy. And that means that when you're seeing things, you could be seeing things double or it definitely affects the visual system as well. All right. Well, this definitely begins to sound like systems are integrated and that sounds like sensory integration. So why don't you explain to our listeners, please, what the terms occupational therapy and sensory integration therapy or sensory processing disorder mean. Um, okay. And is sensory integration a subset of occupational therapy? Uh, sensory integration is actually just a form. It was coined by Dr. Jean Ayers um, back in the 70s, and basically it was something that she realized as an occupational therapist, something that we need to look at because it affects all of us, really, Um so to answer your first question, you know, occupational therapists work with people of all ages, not just children. We work with people with a variety of physical disabilities, mental disabilities, and the main focus with occupational therapy is improving um, activities of daily living and improving quality of life. That's really what OT, the heart of OT is about. And to look at a, a child from a sensory integration standpoint, we look at the whole picture. So if you have a child that's maybe having some sensitivities to sounds or maybe even touch when we start talking about the tactile system, a lot of kids don't like certain feels of things, you know, tags in their shirt or sticky stuff on their fingers. Or maybe they have, they want a lot of deep pressure to their body. They like to crash into things or they trip and fall a lot and that's more considered the proprioception system. So when you look at sensory integration, you're kind of looking at the whole picture of all these senses that integrate. And then you've got children who are also defensive um, through oral motor, and they have, like, maybe a gag reflex or they're picky eaters. So everything is definitely um, kind of feeds into itself. So as an OT who specializes in sensory integration, we have a trained eye to be able to look at, you know, what's going on with the child, what are the difficulties that they're having, and then from a motor standpoint, a sensory standpoint, and um, kind of their environment, what's causing these things? What is it actually that is making um, this task difficult for them? You know, Britt, you were talking about uh, fluid in the ear, and you were talking about all of the different uh, systems, and it's the autism's in the... DSM-4 um, as a, a psychiatric disorder, but this certainly sounds like it's not all—it's not all in someone's head. No, definitely not. And actually, we have been working on getting sensory processing disorder to go into the DSM-5, um, which I think is coming out in 2011. I'm not sure, but I know that there's been talk about working on getting sensory processing disorder as its own diagnosis, even though a lot of children with autism also have sensory processing disorder, you can have sensory issues and sensory difficulties without necessarily having autism. 
But what I mean is what you're describing does not sound like a psychiatric disorder. It sounds like there are real physiological issues here. Oh, yes, most definitely. I'm sorry if I misunderstood you. But oh, that's okay. This, this is definitely something that is is not necessarily controllable, you know, through the mind. And, and autism also has other pieces with behavior and repetitive behaviors and um, verbal skills sometimes are decreased and social skills are also an issue. But a lot of the times it can be affected by what's going on with their sensory systems, and that is neurological. All right, we may need to uh, continue the answer to this question after the break, but um, yeah, I took my son to an occupational therapist, and she, oh, we will need to answer this question after the break. Thank you to our sponsor, Medica, and we'll be right back with Jackie Olson and Britt Collins. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Jackie Olson and Britt Collins. And Britt, before the break, um, I was sharing how when I took my son to an occupational therapist, 
um, she found that all of the sensory systems of which you were speaking had deficits. There wasn't one that she could use to bolster, to remediate any of the others. Um, so how does this usually work in children? Do you find that a lot, or how do you use one sense to bolster the others? Well, I would definitely have to say that every child is different, so it's difficult to give it kind of a blanket response and say that this is going to work for for all children. So um, in some ways, maybe your son had a different... Um, a, a different intense of a sensory system that was having difficulty and and maybe it did affect all of the sensory systems, which I do at times see that when one seems to be pretty affected that they all kind of start being affected. But I think that when you've got one sense that is strong, you can you can use that to actually help. If your balance and coordination is really good and let's say your vestibular system seems to be like it's functioning at a very typical level, but you're having a lot of difficulty with your tactile processing and, you know, touching certain things are difficult and and maybe you're sensitive to certain um, feel of clothing and items like that. You can use, you know, your other senses that seem to be functioning at a, a good, typical way to be able to help you get through some of the difficulties with maybe that tactile sense. But at the same time, a lot of the times when I see kids with sensory processing difficulties, I see that they have trouble with a lot of the senses, if not all of the senses. So I think that um, that maybe with your son, when she was talking about, you know, can one strong sense help mediate the other senses, sometimes yes, but you have to really find where their strong suits are when, and what they do well at and what they excel at to help them overcome some of the difficulties in other areas. Well, um, earlier you were mentioning uh, fluid in the ear and... Um... My son did not have um, a, a big early history of, of ear infections like I hear some other kids having. And uh, I, I wonder, can all of this uh, happen from an ear infection or fluid in the ear? Or do you know if your client base includes individuals who are heavy metal toxic? I mean, what goes in and can affect all of these senses like this? Um, I don't think that just an ear infection would affect would greatly affect your vestibular system. And I probably am not the best person since I'm not a doctor to answer and, you know, specifically if an ear infection or a high fever or something like that or consistent ear infections affect your vestibular system. But I think a lot of it just kind of is, comes from birth and comes from your, um, you know, environmental factors. It comes from, you know, a lot of different things that we can't control. So sometimes it may be that a child has multiple ear infections and then is you know, has difficulty with some of their vestibular and that fluid in their inner ear because of that. Um, it just kind of depends on, again, the child and their their experiences. The heavy metal toxins is kind of a different subject kind of to add in, but it also can be all-encompassing. I think that I do see a lot of children who have, uh, you know, mercury poisoning or lead poisoning, and they've, you know, gotten that with, you know, a variety of different ways something has happened and they've got high toxins in their blood, that definitely affects their sensory system. So I think that that does have something to do with how they're processing different things and how they're functioning day to day. How do occupational therapy and movement affect cognitive performance? Movement and I know some people use dance and... Right. I love this question, actually, because I think the one thing that I feel occupational therapy brings as a therapeutic intervention is movement. We do 
so much of that with our, um, our realm of practice. And what I see is when a child is able to move in a variety of planes, we use swings, we use obstacle courses, and they're crawling through tunnels and jumping on trampolines, and they're doing a variety. You get them to kind of move in different ways maybe that they wouldn't always do themselves. And a lot of the times that increases their attention and increases their language skills and increases their ability to focus and sequence and a lot of the times what's happening is you're getting their body alerted and uh, you're waking them up and you're making the or if they're really alert and they're sometimes over hyperactive you're being able to calm them down to the level where they can increase their focus which in turn increases their cognitive performance because they can actually complete a task if it's as simple as completing a puzzle or if it's as simple as sitting in their desk and being able to you know complete their math assignment because you've given them movement input. A lot of the times, even if you're talking about like in grade school, a child is sitting in a desk and they're sitting for a while. I think movement and sensory breaks are huge because your brain starts to fall asleep a little bit. We all get a little bit sleepy if we're sitting in a meeting for a really long time. So if a child is not getting that movement and that input, you know, sometimes they can get a little bit, you know, their attention can decrease or they are getting a little bit sleepy. And so you know, waking their bodies back up and doing dance or doing yoga or having certain, you know, movement exercise breaks, I think wakes the brain back up, which increases cognitive performance. Well, you love the question, but I love the answer. And I really like how you, um, again, just reinforce that the head is not disconnected from the body. Um, you know, we talked about the DSM earlier and, and um, autisms, and there is a psychiatric dis- diagnosis, but, you know, I think it's a whole body condition it has real physiological manifestations and um, dysfunctions like the GI system affects the brain. And, and you're talking about how all of this, the movement um, and, and what you're doing with the body affects cognition. And again, the head's not disconnected from the body. Exactly, most definitely. And you mentioned the word alert. Now, I know we're going to be talking about a model that you use in a little bit, but... Um, there is a program out there called Alert. I know that there's a program out there called Handle. There's the Wilbarger method. What are these um, modalities like? So the Alert program I actually use quite frequently, and it's um, coined as How Does Your Engine Run? And a lot of my children typically have more of that hyperactive um, activity going on. Their bodies are so busy that they can't, come back down to an even level. And you do have some kids that are pretty lethargic and low, and you need to bring them up to a medium level. So if you think of something too high, too low, and just right, you want to be in that just right range because that's where we function the best. That's where us as individuals, children with special needs, everybody, if, we, if we're too tired, we're not going to have our best performance. If we're too excited and too, um, you know, too much busy and too stressed, we're not going to function at that level either. So the ALERT program is really great to be able to get kids right in that middle way. Some of the other programs I use too, um, you know, just through like the sensory thing, I actually um, don't know a ton about the, I think you mentioned handling, is that right? Handle and Will Barger. Handle, I don't know as much about that. Now, the Wilbarger program, I use the brushing protocol with a lot of my children for, you know, tactile defensiveness, and I, it's a whole thing that you have to be trained in, and, and um, I train a lot of parents to use it as well, and um, it also is helping increase body awareness and balance for kids. So we definitely use a lot of these modalities in our practice, and it just, again, depends on the child and, 
It depends on, you know, what the child's needs are because every single child I see has an individual program. There is not one blanket um, plan for them at all. Jackie, let's uh, talk to you a minute about how your son is doing. Um, His name is Odin, and what are the practical ways that you saw the methods that Britt used uh, help Odin? Um, My son right now is doing fabulous. He is in first grade, and he has an aide, but he is um, in a typical school program, so that's very exciting for us. Uh, a lot of the different things um, that we cover on the DVDs uh, is because that's what I do with my son. That's what Britt taught me to do with him. Um, we covered a lot of tactile issues. My son was very sensitive. He didn't want to wear any clothes. Um, and that also went into his eating. He wouldn't even pick up foods, and he didn't like any textures touching his mouth. So thankfully, um, Britt is also a specialist in, like, feeding and swallowing, so she worked with him on a lot of those issues. Um, A real important one for us was the gravitational insecurity, just getting his, um, like you guys were talking a lot about the vestibular system, just getting his inner ear fluids, um, I guess in check, I'm sorry, I don't know the proper terms, but just we worked with him on swings and and with the trampoline because he wouldn't jump, he wouldn't take his feet off the ground at all when we first uh, started working with him. Um, and another thing with sequencing, just really um, Britt would do obstacle courses and different things that would um, just get his brain to use different parts and um, work on his coordination and getting all the different systems to be working together. So um, those are kind of the practical things that we did. Um, did you want me to be more specific than that? or? No, that's fine. Um, again, you know, you remind me of my son's situation. He had that oral facial aversiveness too. And oh, yeah. It sounds like your son is doing so well. Um, Britt and Jackie, you know, in my mind, sensory integration is Mm -hmm. so important. I I mean, I would think that you, if you did this with a child, you know, full time for weeks or months, it would be very helpful to them. How much time really deserves to be spent on this? How much time should school systems fund? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, for us, when we saw how well my son was responding to the occupational therapy, we kind of threw the other things that weren't working for us personally um, out the door and then donated um, all of our resources to occupational therapy. And we we literally did um, two hours a day Mm -hmm. for a a very long time period. But, Britt, I'll let you answer the more school system question. Oh, definitely. I was just going to say in answer to your question, Terry, I think that what is needed is sensory integration on a daily basis. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the times when you're seeing a kiddo in occupational therapy, you're not really seeing them but maybe once a week, and that's outpatient or in a school setting. And that's where it becomes the family's really job, and that's where, where I actually do a lot of consulting and a lot of training because I can give the parents tools and tips and things to do on a daily basis. And if I could go into a child's home and be there, you know, two hours every day, that would be great, but that's not quite feasible for the OT. So what I do is I give the parents ideas, I give the parents things to do, you know, every day to implement sensory integration into their daily activities so that it's an easier, it's easier for them just to kind of get into this swing of things. So, for example, when I say, you know what, let's bear walk to breakfast and let's get on our hands and knees because that's giving us some deep pressure. That's a really calming activity. And let's, 
you know, frog jump to the door to get our shoes on to go out to the, you know, to the bus. That's implementing sensory things into your day. That's, that's kind of giving these parents things to do with their kids. There's a lot of more things when we were talking about like a sensory plan at home. And then with schools, I think that, you know, I, I worked in schools before, so I would go in and I would give teachers things to do and give, give teachers examples of how to help all their kids, not even just the kids that maybe were on my caseload or had sensory needs, but all of the kids, give them sensory breaks. Let them sit on balls instead of in chairs if they want to. Let them, you know, lay down on the floor on their bellies and, and do their drawing or their math homework if that's, you know, going to give them a more calming position or something like that. So okay. I think it's great. So we will talk more about this when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Britt Collins, occupational therapist, and Jackie Olson and Britt. For the break, um, we were you were sharing with us how you give tips to parents and teachers so that these um, strategies can be integrated into a child's repertoire on a daily basis. And um, our uh, break music 
kind of came on, and I, I'm hoping that listeners heard everything you said. But if they didn't, could you please reiterate it for them? Most definitely. Thank you. I just was saying that as an occupational therapist, we definitely create a sensory diet and sensory ideas, but and we definitely work with the child one-on-one, but when we can't be there, we give parents and teachers tips and things to do in, in the home, in the community, in the classroom, so that they're getting these sensory input on a daily basis because that's really what's most important. You can't just say, okay, it's time for our, our therapy. Let's do 30 minutes of focus on this. It's really got to be integrated into your daily activities. So the one thing that we like to do is give these practical tips to teachers and 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 parents and caregivers, it's not replacing OT, but it's just helping give them, you know, homework ideas to do. Well, I want to take you to our next IEP. Um, <laughs> you know, 30 minutes a week, I, I just don't think cuts it. Uh, these are things, it sounds to me, as if children considered neurotypical learn every day naturally by osmosis as part of the developmental process, but our kiddos uh, don't learn it naturally that way. And, and right, that's what happens is that you, if you've got a child that, that's typically developing and doesn't seem to be having any issues, they're integrating these sensory systems, just everything is kind of on target. But when these children with autism, with special needs, with sensory processing disorder, is that they're not doing those. And, and that could be for many reasons, and we don't actually know the cause, but that's not the important part for me. The important part for me is how to help and how to make a change and how to make it better for them and how to be able to tolerate their environment and their day-to-day activities on an easier level. Well, again, I just think sensory integration is, is vital, but are you also finding that children whose parents use therapeutic diet or other biomedical measures do better with OT? I think, again, it depends on the child. I know that um, I have worked with children who have had some you know, uh, have been on a gluten-free or casein-free diet and they've had different toxicities in their body that have needed more of that type of intervention to help kind of get those things out of their system. And most definitely that's been very helpful for a lot of children. It just depends on what's going on with the specific child. So I think, again, you need a team of experts. You need your developmental pediatrician. You need a nutritionist. You need an OT. You need a speech therapist, maybe even a behavior specialist to really look at the whole picture of the child and what's going on. And and if you need something like biomedical measures, I think that that can be very beneficial for your child, which in in turn can help also OT really affect them in a more positive way. Right, right. That's great. And and we should probably mention that um, when you were talking about giving parents and teachers practical tips so that uh, sensory integration could be integrated in a holistic manner in a child's repertoire in all settings, that that was the goal of your DVDs to um, bring OT into all settings. Yeah, most definitely. I think that Jackie's experience with the film industry and then my expertise with occupational therapy, we made a great team, and her also being a mother of a child with autism, she understood the need for the need for reaching out to all these families. And, again, the DVDs were created to give parents tips and tools helping give them a visual learning tool to use in the home, in the classroom, so that they could, in addition to their occupational therapy, take this home and see exactly what we're doing and and why we're doing what we do so that they can understand better how to implement these things on a daily basis for their children. Now, another thing that sounds similar uh, between Jackie's son and mine um, is that, you know, my son um, has had troubles uh, toileting. Now, my son has 
significant gastrointestinal pathology and, you know, sensory um, processing issues. Um, but how did you help, for example, my, my son wouldn't want to sit down and, um, and poop. Uh, I never can quite find a, a better way to say that word, but, um, <laughs> but he wouldn't want to sit down and poop, and it just didn't seem comfortable for him. What kinds of things caused this? Um, in kids, and how do you help them with all sorts of toileting issues? Well, I'm so glad that you asked that, actually, because that seems to be one of the most frustrating things for parents of all children is potty training, not even just people um, that have children with special needs. So I think that the one thing that could have been something that was with your son, and I've never met your son, so it's hard to say without actually seeing the situation, but a lot of the times the cold toilet seat is not comfortable because we're sensitive to temperature or having our feet dangle, even though a lot of times we put a stool underneath the kid's feet because their feet can't touch the ground. Or you're, high, you're kind of high up, you know, you're floating over this bowl of water. It's really confusing. There's loud noises. So there's a lot that goes into that. And then if you talk about your son who's got gastrointestinal difficulties and issues with his, you know, his diet and his gut, which a lot of kids with autism do have, you know, actually having to have a bowel movement. And you know what? We call it poop all the time when I'm working with my kids. But that can be uncomfortable. It's not comfortable to your stomach. It doesn't feel good. And, and it's kind of an odd, odd topic to talk about, but you know what? It's life. And so I think that a lot of the times it is difficult for these kids to do, and sometimes doctors can help with maybe stool softeners or a specific diet that can help make, make those kinds of things easier to pass. But you also have to look at from a sensory standpoint, what is it that's making it difficult to actually sit on the toilet? Is it is it that cold toilet seat? Is it the loud noises? Is it the bright lights? You know, what's going on? Yeah, my friend um, Chantal, uh, Chantal Cecile Kira, said that when she interviewed adults, um, and she's written various books that uh, give information like this, when she interviewed adults, she, she, for example, talked to one woman who had to use a timer to tell herself when to, uh, when to urinate, as if, the person could not feel when their body needed to do that. And um, I've spoken with a gastroenterologist before, and it seems like some of the kids may not be able to feel when they need to pee or poop. And that's very true as well. And that, that can be part of a sensory difficulty. That can be a bowel and bladder difficulty. Sometimes it's hard to, it's hard to hold it, but it's also hard to know when to let it go. Um, those are definitely things that you can work with your doctor on and, and work with a, a, a bowel and bladder specialist or urologist specialist, but it also can be something that the OT can help you with with sensory. And there's other things that you can do as well when you are, I mean, I've actually had children that we actually had to have them go on a puppy pad, like a poop pad, because they wouldn't sit on the bathroom, but that was just to be able to first get them to actually void, which means urinate or actually have a bowel movement, and then we were able to gently move into the actual bathroom. So it just depends on kind of what's going on with the child, but it can be very difficult to understand and, and know that feeling of when you need to go. Right. So if you have a situation where a child's holding their bowel or bladder all day, um, would that be from because they think it's going to hurt to do the actual, um, you know, actually void or poop, or is that because they're afraid of something in the bathroom? And what are some tips that you use to help kids with all of the issues that you've talked about in the bathroom? So that I, my answer to that would be could be both. It could be painful. It could be scary. It, um, and a lot of the times kids are like, oh, that came out of my body. Are you kidding? And now I have to flush it down the toilet. I don't understand. Because when we start potty training, we're, 
you know, two and a half, three, and we just don't understand. Like, how how did the whole system in our bodies work? So what I do is, again, I look at the whole child. I look at what's going on. Do they have other sensory sensitivities? Do they not Do they not like certain sounds and loud noises? So the flushing of the toilet, is that what they're scared of? Are they scared because you're going to have them sit on that toilet and have them urinate? Then you're going to flush the toilet, and it's going to be really loud and scary. So they just don't want to go. They want to hold it. Or they'd rather go in their pants because then they don't have to hear that noise. So you have to be able to maybe let them go and then let them leave the bathroom and flush it later and, and work up to that. It's, you know, you have to look at what it is that is their sensory issues and, and all of their other things and their other daily activities to be able to tell what is it in the bathroom that's maybe making them sensitive. Is it, is it the lights? Do they not like bright lights anywhere? Well, we can turn the lights off. We can, you know, have a candle. We can have a, a nightlight in there if that's what it is. And you found the tips that you've just shared with us to help kids in actual practical situations? Oh, most definitely. I've worked with a variety of kids on, on potty training and toilet training, and I know a lot of parents have, you know, read the, you know, the potty training in a day books and tried, you know, potty parties and everything else and, you know, tried kind of the whole works. And sometimes those things do work, but sometimes it takes an occupational therapist's skilled eye to be able to look at, you know, if it's a sensory thing or if it's maybe actually a biological issue with, you know, their bowel and bladder, how can we really dive in there and help them? So I've definitely seen an occupational therapist's point of view really help with some kids in potty training. Yeah, you brought up a good point, Britt. Um, To our listeners, if if a child is having um, issues with uh, toileting, um, it's a good idea to rule out any kind of gastrointestinal involvement um, if you think there are any significant issues with toileting, um, especially if their uh, if their poops don't look like, you know, they should, like you're used to. So, um, Britt, you use something called a uh, methodology that involves looking at the person, the environment, um, the occupation, what you're hoping to accomplish, and performance. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is a model called the PEOP is what the occupational therapists use. And it's actually something that we've learned from the very beginning in, in OT school and we've used throughout our practices. And um, every occupational therapist probably uses this even if they forget that they're actually using this because we look at the, the person, which could be the child, the, the adult, whatever, and you then look at your environment. So like I was mentioning before with the potty training, what is it that's that's sending them into an upset act, you know, or, or behavior tantrum, or maybe they're just scared. You know, you're looking at what's around them in their environment, the lights, the sounds, the feeling of their clothes on them. Then you're trying to look at what you're trying to accomplish, the occupation of um, brushing their teeth, the occupation of getting dressed, the occupation of, of playing a new game or swinging on a swing. So our occupations are things that we do every single day. It's not just our job. But as a job as a child is to to play and to be kids and then their performance of that so when you look at all those things the child the person the environment what you're trying to get out of them to do and then you want to see you want them to obviously be successful so you want them to be able to go use the big boy the big boy or the big girl potty or you want them to be able to brush their teeth on their own or try a new food so that's the performance that you want you want them to be successful so we look at this whole model and we say how can we get performance how can we get them to, to complete this task So then we back up and we start, what's going on with the child? What's going on in the environment? What are we trying to get them to do? And then let's be successful. Great. Okay. Uh, More about this from Britt and Jackie when we come back from break. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. 
Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virustop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. JackLaLane.com presents Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine LaLane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris LaLane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. All right. Before the break, um, we were talking with Britt about how Britt uses a model that looks at the person the environment, such as a bathroom, uh, the occupation, such as potty training, and the performance, the outcome that you're striving to achieve. And let's talk about this, how you have applied this to other practical situations. Well, so for example, a child who maybe has a vestibular difficulty or processing difficulty we talked about earlier. So maybe a child is is worried about certain movements. So we use a lot of swings in our um, realm of practice as a therapist. So if I have a child who is maybe afraid of movement, afraid of, you know, riding in a car or afraid of stepping off of a curb or afraid of falling, I will put them on a swing and do some gentle motion and do some, um, you know, different linear back and forth movement or rotary, which just means spinning them. So I'm looking at the child. I've got the parent telling me, you know, my child gets car sick. They don't like to be picked up. They are afraid of the swings at the park and all the other kids want to swing. They're afraid of sliding down a slide. So that's the person and that's all the environment right there. You're looking at what's causing in the environment the actual fear of movement. And so then the occupation is you want them to tolerate movement. You want them to be able to ride in the car without getting sick. You want them to be able to go to the park with all the other kids and swing. So then our performance would be the outcome of success of that. So when I take a child and I do some gentle movement and I do some gentle rocking and then they start realizing that, it, you know, it could be a little bit fun. And then we work on maybe doing some, you know, you build up to things, doing some, some slow spinning and some slow rotary movement. And then we do some jumping on the trampoline because then they're moving up and down. So, you know, there's a lot of different – in so. Even in that person, environment, occupation, and performance, we have intervention that goes in there too. So, 
you know, we look at this model, and then what we do is we choose how we want to go about getting that optimal performance. Okay. So let's say you take your child into the store, and they, they are just apoplectic. They can't tolerate it. What's going on? Right. So, again, your, your child is, look what's happening with your child. Are they covering their ears? Are they covering their eyes? Are they just screaming? Are they looking around so bright-eyed, like, I don't know what to do, and they just kind of shut down? And, and then look at what's in your environment. So you're in a store. You've usually got bright lights. There's a lot of people around. So let's take the grocery store because we all go to the grocery store. And then you've got colors, lots of colors, and, and it's kind of cold in the grocery store sometimes. And you might have put them in that that grocery cart that's also sometimes really cold and hard metal, you know. And so your child has got all these sensory things coming into them, lights and sounds and smells. I mean, talk about the smells in a grocery store with a child who's sensitive to certain foods and, and stuff. So, And you're putting food in the cart, and they're like, ah, you know. So you're looking at all of those things. But you want to be able to take your child to the grocery store because we all have to go shopping. So you want to see what is it that's causing. So if it is, maybe they're just covering their ears. Maybe it's auditory sensitivity. Maybe you need to actually have them have wear some headphones or have some calming music playing. Or maybe they're, they need to just have like a heavy vest, like a weight or a, you know, weighted blanket around them to help them kind of keep calm. And maybe you actually just go in for one brief thing, bread, check out, and leave. And then you build up to a big grocery shopping trip. Yeah, I've actually, uh, I actually have a friend whose older son would go into the grocery store and, and pee, and I wonder if there's some, some connection between the fluorescent lights, which bother a lot of people on the spectrum, and then the other, um, systems or ways that they compensate being affected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. That would be, I've, I've never experienced that personally, but, you know, you just, you never know what, what it is that's causing. That's why, we really do look at everything that's encompassing the child, not just the problem or not just what's difficult. We look at all of these things. And you talk to the families because the moms and the dads and, you know, the people that are with the child on a day-to-day basis know best. So you find out, well, what other situations are difficult? Where else is it hard? I mean, when I used to take Odin, he was he had a really hard time going in, in places with a lot of people. But as soon as I could build up to him, I mean, I took him to Costco just to, to try to see if he could tolerate it. I mean, Costco's huge. There's tons of lights. There's tons of people. And, and you know, we built up to that. We, you know, we built up to him being able to tolerate all of those sensory inputs to be able to go to Costco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, I like to avoid the detergent aisle. <laughs> the cleaning aisles? Oh, my gosh. You know, right. I find yeah. that, that really, the smell is really offensive and irritating and, No, I want to make a quick point on that, Terry. You say that you avoid the the detergent aisle. You know, I avoid the dishwasher sound when I'm awake because I don't like the noise. We all have sensory issues. We all, even as adults and even as typically, you know, typically functioning people in in our environment, we, um, you know, almost all of us have something that bothers us. So we really should be able to relate to these kids who have these heightened sensory difficulties. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your DVD some more. You have OT for children with autism, special needs and typical, OT in the home, OT in the school, and yoga for children with special needs. Jackie, why don't you tell us about that last one? We haven't spoken about yoga a lot. Um, we decided to um, combine our uh, Brett's uh, knowledge of occupational therapy with yoga because we were actually getting a lot of requests from parents um, when we when we did our first DVD um, 
that came out, they they kept asking us if we were going to do a yoga DVD because um, it's something that's really popular right now. Um, but we have found that um, Britt could probably explain it better, but that the com- combination of the moves gives you the different proprioception and the deep pressure, and and it strengthens the child at the same time as it calms them. So. Um, we have a yoga instructor, Aris Biskowskis, and he actually does um, special needs camps. So we thought he was um, the perfect gentleman for our DVD. Okay. And what about the others? Um, occupational therapy in the home and occupational therapy in school. Um, after we did our first DVD again, people wanted us to go into more specifics. So the OT in the school takes you through um a day at school, and it shows you how to implement OT throughout the entire day with all types of different children. Um, and we, the OT in the home, it takes you through a whole day at home. And um, we worked with uh, three other um, occupational therapists to make sure that we got as much information. And you know, we really wanted to get correct information out to the parents. So we have. Um, Occupational therapist Dr. Angela Hisong was a wonderful contributor, um, and Lindsay Bale, who wrote um, Raising a Sensory Smart Child, uh, she's the co-author of that book, and, and Jamie Bergstein, who specializes in aquatic therapy to give parents an introduction what um, you know water therapy can do for their children. So we really tried to make it a team effort to really work with um, you know getting the parents the best information we could. You know, Britt, when I look at some of your information, uh, you know, some of your methods remind me of how people do or should do uh, ABA. Is there any intersection there between OT and applied behavior analysis? Well, you, um, if you, anyone knows some of my history, my background, I actually was an ABA behavior consultant for four years before I was an OT. So I think I kind of gradually, gradu- um, sorry, gravitate towards that a little bit with my practice. But, you know, in my experience, I would I wouldn't say about eighty percent of the kids I work with have some sort of behavior issues, and really coming from like an ABA standpoint, some people some people like to use the floor time model, whatever it is. I think that a lot of the times we as OTs and use a lot of behavior strategies with our kids, but behavior strategies and sensory strategies together can really really benefit a child with special needs. And you see sensory strategies helping cognition and behavior. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, there's definitely times when a child is strictly having a behavior tantrum or a meltdown, and it's it's just because they're being defiant. But there's also times when it's a sensory issue that's causing them to tantrum or have a behavior meltdown. So we really have to look at, again, what is the environment like? What is the what is the what's going on with the child so you can't just again give it you know they're just you know having a, a, ta- a bad day and they're just tantruming it really could be something that's more underlying than that right like if children are having um, significant gut issues and are in pain they could be you know banging their heads or self-injurious and their behavior should communicate that to us so I like that point that you made Britt well, Jackie and Britt, thank you for talking with us about these practical ways of helping kids on the spectrum that lets them feel and function better. Thank you, Terry. It was, it was a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. To our listeners, Britt has an article on toilet training coming up in the Autism File magazine. Please visit www.autismfile.com. And I am pleased to tell you that Britt and Jackie are also joining the Autism One radio team 
So please look at www.autism1.org forward slash radio in coming days. And please check out well over 100 speakers at the Autism One 2009 conference at www.autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Next week, Betsy Hicks is guest hosting, and she will interview author Cheryl Steinberg about the emotional freedom technique. If you have any questions about this program, please email me at toranga at autism1.org. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.